Hey, everybody. Welcome to You Were Born for This Podcast with Father John Ricardo, Mary Guilfoyle. We're a couple of missionaries at Acts 29. This is the podcast where we talk about the Word of God and how it brings transformation and renewal into our lives. Mary, you like that new intro? <laughs> That's new. <laughs> Just want to see if you're it. paying attention. No, I love it. Hey, I'm awake. I'm engaged. So I, for those who uh, might be new to the podcast, we changed uh, formats back in July or so, and we use this now as a podcast to reflect upon the scriptures for the Sunday coming up. And so we try to zero our attention in on the first reading and it just makes sense to say what we're actually doing. And we're looking at scripture and how it brings real transformation into our daily lives as opposed to just something that was written a long time ago in history. And it's oftentimes said about Jesus that he comforted the afflicted and he afflicted the comfortable. And this I don't is, know about this you. This is an afflicting moment. <laughs> this is one of those uh, ladders. Yes. I, I often say, can't wait to dive into this podcast. And that's not really true with this one because this is a challenging word that we got from the Lord this week. That's so. a con- It's a common theme for the last set of conversations that we've had. So buckle up, as you would say, right, Father buckle John? Up. So what's our title? So our topic for today is whole or half-hearted. Mm, I love that question mark, whole or half-hearted. Let's pray that what we do will be whole-hearted. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Father, we just thank you for... Everything we have for our lives, our time, your patience, your mercy, this chance right now to reflect on your word. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would animate the conversation that Mary and I are about to have, that we would speak in such a way so that uh, the ears of our brothers and sisters and our own ears uh, would hear you speaking to us as you desire to, so that we might continue to give you what you deserve. And in the process, we might become ever more the men and women that you created us to be and that we long to be. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, Father Son, Son, Holy, Son Spirit. Of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So take us away. This is uh, from the book of Malachi. Malachi. A great king am I, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priests, this commandment is for you. If you do not listen, if you do not lay it to your heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and of your blessing I will make a curse. You have turned aside from my way and have caused many to falter by your instruction. You have made void the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. I, therefore, have made you contemptible and base before all the people, since you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your decisions. Have we not all the one Father Has not the one God created us? Why then do we break faith with one another, violating the covenant of our fathers? Yeah, so, you know, and then we're all going to respond to this, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So um, I'll just tell you quickly a couple of thoughts that hit me. So uh, as as an ordained priest, and we're all priests by baptism, right? But as an ordained priest... Um, hearing this, 
this is like Jesus grabbing me by the collar and just shaking me. And I don't know uh, any of my brothers who this week who won't hear this and hear it in a very particular way as, boy, isn't that true? You know, so the Lord is grabbing the attention of his leaders. So there's no distinction in ancient Israel between church and state. I mean, the leaders are the priests. Or the better way to say it, the leaders are religious. Everybody, Israel exists as a religious nation. It exists because God has called it into existence. And the Lord has a scathing word for those who are leading. And then he says to them, because you have acted the way you've done, I'm going to send a curse on you. This is God talking, like gulp. Because you have caused people to falter by your instruction, meaning you've either taught poorly, wrongly, a whole set of things. What am I going to do? I will make you contemptible before the people. Good grief. How in the world is a priest in the United States, given all the scandals that we've gone through over the last number of decades, how do we not read that and go, Guilty as charged, because that's the state of the priesthood. We are contemptible in the eyes of so many because of the sins of some of our brothers. And we've all, we're all sinners, right? But because of the, uh, the really depraved sins of some of our brothers, and God has done this. So this is a challenging word, but as we're going to see as we break this open, it's not just to those of us who wear collars, Right, Father John. So, I mean, as, as I'm listening to you, just even break open that piece, I'm thinking about um, having been in Israel and seeing what a millstone actually looks like. Yeah, Jesus says, those of you who cause one to stumble, it'd be better for you to have a millstone thrown around your neck, right? Which is not a little pebble, right. is it? No, no, it's not. And and, and, and so uh, just the line uh, from Scripture here that talks about, I have made you contemptible before all the people. And so that's just what it just made me think about um, the consequence of leaders, both, you know, your priesthood, my priesthood by virtue of my baptism, the consequence of us not leading well and, and falling short of, of giving God our whole heart and, and, yeah. and, and giving less to him that is due him. And I know we're going to break all that open, but, yeah. but, but, but before we do, um, it, I think it might be helpful for our friends who are, who are listening. Um, if you just offered a little bit of background around Malachi, what yeah, it's always helpful this? just to get a sense of like, who is this? What time are we talking about? Right. What's, what's, you know, what's the point of this particular book, whatever the case might be. So Malachi is a prophet. So the name actually just means my messenger. So, that could actually be the prophet's name or it could be just the title that was given to this. There's arguments about that. It doesn't really matter for us. It's probably from roughly 500 BC to 450 BC. That's the time period that we're dealing with now. So Israel, the, the Jewish people are back in Israel. Um, they have a temple again. Uh, and there's some things that are going on, as always with the people of God. There's some need for reform because we're constantly in need of reformation, all of us, because we're constantly struggling to become the men and women that God created us to be. And th the prophet acts as something like uh, 
um, a defense attorney for God. And so God is leveling a series of charges against his people, which is to say God is, through, through Malachi, speaking to you and to me right now about some things, trying to get our attention, saying, I want to bring this to your attention and I want you to reflect on this and to consider, are you acting the way you should be acting? So this section here, in a particular way, is addressed to the leaders, to the priests, and it really has to do with are, are the sacrifices that the people offering, are they wholehearted sacrifices or are they half-hearted sacrifices? So that's something of the, of the context. But it's always important, some Sundays it's a little bit more obvious than others, to keep the first reading and the gospel in, you know, to read them in tandem, maybe we could say. And this coming Sunday is one of those Sundays. So the gospel is Matthew 23, verses 1 to 12, where Jesus is talking to the people, saying, you know that the Pharisees, they sit on the chair of Moses, so they have positions of leadership. Therefore, Jesus says, do what they tell you, but don't practice what they preach, or don't practice the way they How live. They practice. Because they say things, but they don't do them. And then he goes on to say, um, you have one master and you are all brothers. And we can, we can break that open a little bit in a moment. So the Lord's talking about uh, the fact that those in his time, just like in Malachi's time and just like in our time, are prone to think, because I'm in a position of authority, I can do whatever I want. When in fact, those who are in positions of authority have yep. more to Greater answer for. Greater responsibility. Yeah, Augustine used to say, with you I'm a sheep, for you I'm a shepherd. The first one gives me great consolation. The latter one scares the living daylights out of me because it means I'm going to be held accountable for things that I wouldn't be if I wasn't a, in a position of leadership. So we think, wow, if I was in charge, I'd, I'd get to make all these rules, whatever. When in fact, those who are in positions of authority, I have a lot Greater to responsibility. answer for. But, you know, even so, you know, we're talking, we always do, obviously, before we record, one of the things that came to mind as I was listening to you proclaim this, um, that, that rebuke of the Lord that um, you have caused many to falter by your instruction, we probably immediately go to bad teaching from priests, you know, bad counsel and confession, lousy homilies, and, you know, like guilty as charged as a member of the clergy. But it's also worth thinking, like, so because of the fact that, you know, you as a mom, or, you know, Steve, your husband as a dad, or any mom and dad listen to this, like, that should, I should hear that as the Lord grabbing me by the collar, right. too, and going, hey, what's my instruction been? for those entrusted to, to my, my care, care. Right. <laughs> right? To my sons, my daughters. We were just talking to a woman who came by to visit us who was uh, recounting the story of some friends of hers who they just said to their kids, you know, like, we're not going to, we're going to let you choose whatever you want to choose as we're you grow up, so we're not going to take you to church, right? Well, that's bad instruction. Because well, oftentimes what they choose is, I was raised with nothing, so I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose nothing. and. Right. You know, to your point as parents, I mean, we are the first teachers of the faith 
uh, to our children. That's our responsibility. So to be clear, uh, this word is is instructive for for all of us. And uh, you know, one of the things, Father John, that I did is I was just praying through this conversation as I went back to the missing verses. Mm. And just so, so from the heart of a mother or a father, sometimes what we, we give is tough love. We say certain things. We raise you in a particular way. We want you to be a man and a woman of character and dignity of and great faith and all of that. It's all born from a heart of love. Yeah. And in Malachi 1, chapter 2, the very beginning, 2a, we read that Malachi writes, I have loved you deeply. Right, this is God speaking. This is God speaking through Malachi. I have loved you deeply. So everything that Malachi is speaking on God's behalf flows from God's heart of love. Mm -hmm. This is not a curse for the sake of a curse. It's because I love you this much. I am telling you what the consequence is. He's deserving of our whole heart to the point of the, you know, the tie lover conversation. He wants our whole heart, but all of this flows from a heart that says, I have loved you deeply. Yeah. And you know, Again, as you're saying that, what comes to mind is, you know, it's hard to, I think it's hard to be a good shepherd. I think it's hard to be a good mom. I think it's hard to be a good dad because we all have this um, insecure desire to be liked. And so it's hard to say tough things to people because I'm afraid how you're going to respond to me. Like, I want you to like me. When in fact, here's the irony is when people don't, actually say the hard things to us. We don't like them very much because we know they're just compromising and and whatnot. We can tell a fraud when we see a fraud, right? right? So yeah, so everything the Lord says, he says out of love. The only reason God hates sin is because it's harmful to me. It's the only reason. It's not like he just made up a bunch of rules and he wants to ruin my life. He wants me to thrive. He made me for abundant life and sin is less, not more, and it hurts me, not him. So let's try to do this because I think there's two ways to think about the word of God, both the first reading and the gospel that might um, immediately uh, be applicable for us. One's on kind of a global scale or maybe a better way to think of it would be an ecclesial scale, like how to think about the church. And then one's a very personal application of it. So the synod just concluded, or at least phase one of the synod on synodality. And I know we're all waiting with bated breath for everything that's going to come out. But I think one of the things that I've heard, and, and you and Albert and I were talking about this the other day, one of the things that I've heard people complain about, which I think is really worth our reflecting on, is how come we got all these lay people at this thing? Because they're not involved. They shouldn't be involved. The only people making decisions should be the bishops. So we can't get into all the nuances of this. Here's one of the things that I would encourage us to think about, though. To be sure, Jesus has, has established a hierarchy of the church, a sacred order. That's all that term means, right? And so we all have different levels of authority within the church. But we would do really well this week to remember Jesus's words in the gospel. You have one father and you are all brothers and sisters, meaning what? Meaning do different ones of us have to answer in different ways for the decisions that we make? Do different ones of us have different responsibilities? Of course we do. This is not um, as if, um, I don't know, it's a commune or something, right? And yet, 
it's so easy for us when we get positions of authority to think this must this must mean I'm all that. When in fact, it doesn't. It just means in God's mysterious providence, he has chosen certain ones of us to have certain positions, but it's not a reward because like, ain't you so holy? I mean, all you got to do is hear confessions of people to realize, I think I'm probably caring for some saints and I, I'm not one yet. So, I just want to encourage us all to realize we have, we are the body of Christ. We are the family of God. And yes, we have roles and yes, we have responsibilities, but it's really important for each of us to make sure that we are, that the priests are expecting uh, the lay faithful to take their rightful place and that you're expecting us to take our rightful place. And and we talk a lot about that in our work, you know, like our formal name is Acts 29, mobilizing for mission. And we talk often about Ephesians chapter four, about how God raises up apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And we're always saying to people, the saints are the people in In the the pews, right? And I think, you know, the, um, I forget who it was who, who did the survey. It doesn't matter now, but there was a survey done a number of years ago on churches and pastors. And in the survey, they just asked the question, the, the parish or the church exists for the sake of what? And when the people in the pews answered that, 90% of them said the parish exists to meet my needs. And 90% of the pastors said the church exists for the sake of evangelization. Right. Well, that's a radical disconnect. And we can often fall prey to having something like of a consumer mentality uh, as members of the parish. There's a favorite quote that we use all the time with with priests, and it always just gets them, I don't know if it's laughing or crying, right? But it's a, a quote from Nikki Gumbel. How, how does he yeah, play it? Something like that. The church is like a football game, 22 people desperately in need of rest, watched by thousands of people desperately in need of exercise. And, and the reason that gets the laugh that it does is because we all know that's so true. And, 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 and what we're talking about too, you know, Father John, is like this need to have like a mindset renewal, just not on behalf of the clergy, but on behalf of the laity as well. We talk about, you know, if you're looking at a parish in particular and all the arrows are turned inwards pointing into the pastor as if it's all on him or it's all on the parish staff or it's all on the ministry leads or it's all on the volunteers. What about those of us sitting in the pews? You know, your particular task is to equip us for the work of ministry, right? And oftentimes we're sitting in the pews with something of a bystander or a consumer mentality. So to your point, on an ecclesial level, this involves all of us. We're all the body of Christ. Unique roles, unique charisms, unique gifts. And God wants all of us to have his mind relative right, to giving God what is due and being about mission. Yeah, and if, and if, you're, if you're questioning, like, so what's the, what's the ministry, we would send you to chapter nine or episode nine of the Rescue Project where we break that open a little bit. So what you just said moves us immediately, I think, into this more personal application of Malachi to my life. And, and back to the title of this episode, which is a question, whole or half-hearted and, and this is where hopefully we all feel a little bit afflicted. More than convicted. Because the Lord wants to speak to us. And it's a chance, I think, for us to 
to look at our lives and, and say something like, or hear the Lord ask us, so what do the offerings in your life to me look like? So let's make that really practical. Let's look at time. Let's look at money. And let's look at the gifts that God has entrusted to us, the talents, the abilities, whether they're natural or supernatural. So like, what does, I remember Father Francis Martin, who was a mentor of mine, he used to say, you show me your calendar and your checkbook and I'll tell you what's important to you. And I always found like, oh, that's pretty telling. And I think it's spot on. So show me your calendar and let me see how you spend your time. So what's our time look like with God? Do we allow ourselves to get away with, well, my whole life's a prayer, which usually means you don't pray. Or do we actually make committed time every single day to do nothing but I'm just going to talk to the one to whom I owe everything for whatever amount of time that is. But I think it's got to be at least a half hour uh, because it's kind of hard to have a relationship with somebody if you're not talking to them for that long every day. But that's that's one of the places I would suggest this gets gets really personal. You know, Father, I, if I can, I just would maybe make a point to we can get even more practical with that. I mean, and and this is something that I have to do because if it's not on my calendar, I I won't do it. That's not to say that I don't have like established habits of prayer. I wish I had an established pra- practice of exercise. I've tried that. I've tried putting that on my calendar and then I just hit the delete button, right? Delete. <laughs> delete. But j- just, you know, put on your calendar, holy hour, yeah. whenever that is, whether that's the first fruits, whether that's the first, you, you know, the waking early hours that you, that you get up or your, or if your schedule doesn't allow that, you know, somewhere in the course of your day, you're going to have a, an alert that goes off on, on our phone that says, holy half hour, or it's at the hour of mercy. It's a time of prayer, three o'clock, whatever it is, just to actually slate it in there. It's just like a visual reminder that this is what I'm giving the Lord because we, we slot everything else into our calendar, whether it's meetings or soccer games or dinners or whatever it might be. It just helps to actually put it in a calendar on your on your device. Yeah, and you always have time for what you love. That's exactly like I love to work out, so I don't care if it's one in the morning by the time I get home. If I haven't worked out, I'm going to work out, even if it's one in the morning. And if we don't make time for prayer, at the end of the day, what we're really saying is, you're getting it's just not that big a deal for me. Well, you know, Father John, and it, it, it takes us all the way back to the poor sacrifices that the priests were offering, right. like blind animals, lame and sick exactly. cattle. Like, like I'm giving you the leftovers, the the fragments of what I have left, and at the end of the day, I don't have much left to offer anyone yeah. in my life. Not not to mention the Lord. So, so let me make. I'll, I'll go. I'll double dare you. I'll, I'll double down on your like more practical. So let's do this. So look at the calendar. Look at, have you actually put time in to pray every day? And then the Lord's going to say in Malachi, he's doing it with regards to money, which we'll talk about next. But I would apply this to time. The Lord actually issues a dare. He says, try me in this. Test me. See if I don't bless you. Not that we should do something so that we get something out of it. Um, but tr- I, here's my dare. If you are not in the habit of doing exactly what Mary just said of penciling in or penning in or putting into your iPhone or whatever you use 
every day, I'm going to start my day with 30 minutes of prayer, wherever you do that, in your basement, in your favorite prayer chair, in a new prayer chair, because it's not a habit, in a chapel, doesn't matter. Try it. Try it for this week, starting today for the next seven days. First thing you're going to do every morning, make a cup of coffee, grab your Bible, sit with the Lord, talk to him, tell him what's on your heart, hear what he wants to say to you. Pray for the people in the Middle East, the people in Ukraine, for for the church, for, for your family, for whatever's on your mind. Just talk to him like you talk to your best friend, because he is, and see what happens. And see if your life isn't different. See if you don't have more peace. See if you're not hearing things from him that you'd never heard before. Just try it. Like, this is the Lord's dare. I so, lo- yeah, Father John, I just, I, I, I love that. Um, and, and you said we were going to talk about um, money, Oh, you know, joy. And so, you know, the, 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 I remember talking to our daughter uh, one year. This is a set of years back. I think she was still in uh, college at the time, and it was Lent. And um, we were talking about, you know, what our Lenten observance was going to look like. And she said, I'm giving up online shopping. Well, at that time, I didn't even know there was a thing <laughs> called online shopping. Can't wait to find out about this. <laughs> now I do. And so I'm just thinking about, I mean, how much time are we spending mm. online shopping or, or, or who are we giving even a tithe to? Yeah. So we're, we're just talking about like giving the Lord the first fruits. What, are, what does our tithe look like? Does he get off the top 10% in some form or another? Break that 10% out any way you want. Yep. But is he getting what is due him? And then how are we spending um, are we being good stewards? Right. I so guess. Wait a I'm Catholic. We don't tithe. <laughs> oh, oh, who taught you that? Right. So people go like, no, it's a 10%. word that's not in our vocabulary. Everything I have, ev- it's not like 10% of the money should go to God. No, no. All my oh. money is God's. Everything I have is God's. There's nothing that I have. That's not a gift. The question is, how am I using the gifts that God's given to me? And thanks be to God. Like I got in the habit. I was young because my dad taught me and one of my sisters taught me to tithe, meaning what? To give 10% of your income to God. You just, like, when the paycheck comes in, when the direct deposit hits, boom, immediately 10% goes out. And this is one of the best habits we can get into because it's a way for us to say to the Lord, Lord, I trust you. You know, Scripture talks all the time about do not put your trust in something as uncertain as wealth, which is supposed to make us go, what? Like, what could be more certain than wealth? That means security. That means I have a future. It means I have all things. No, it does not. And it can go just like like that. that. We just had a conversation this morning. It can go like that. So if we're not in the habit of spending at least a half hour in the morning with the Lord in prayer, boom, we're we're afflicted this morning. Like the Lord's convicting us going, uh, I think I'm giving my half-hearted or have something else offering to the Lord. For those of us who are already doing that, but maybe we're not tithing, it's like, oh, shoot, I'm getting convicted there too. And again, just like you said early on, the Lord does all this out of love. God doesn't need my money, right? He, he's not some egomaniac who's going, talk to me, tell me how great I am. Like, it's not that he gets something out of this. We do. I get something out of this. Like, I become freer. I become happier. I become more peaceful. 
those are the results of doing what it is that the Lord asks. Yeah, absolutely. And go ahead. You were going to say something. I was just going to say, maybe we can talk about one more thing, which is especially thinking of the people in the pews. What are we doing with our charisms? So charisms are gifts. Everybody's got gifts. We've all got both natural and supernatural gifts. What am I doing with the gifts that God's given me? Either in the parish, like am I volunteering? Am I helping somehow? I mean, it was, it was a common experience for us when we were working in the parish for have people either sending things or saying things to us like, hey, you guys aren't doing X, Y, or Z. You should do that. And sooner or later, you just say, well, why don't you start that? Why don't you do that? Why right, don't if the you Lord lead laid that? that on your heart, maybe he's inviting you to lead this. Right. But it, uh, So I'm going to double up on you. Ooh. Here, here's, here's oftentimes um, what, what the issue may be. I think those of us sitting in the pews may not even know that we've been given gifts. Mm, good point. Um, no one's ever led us to discover our charisms. And so, so how if, do I do so that? So if we don't know what our gifts are, we may want to consider walking through some sort of a charism discovery experience, something like called and gifted. You know, Sherry Waddell's great work. Um, there's all kinds of spiritual inventories that we can take even online yeah. to find out, you know, what are my gifts? And then start experimenting with those gifts and then present yourself you know, to the pastor, to someone on the team to say, you know what, the Lord's really laid this particular ministry on my heart and I would love to step in and to serve. Yeah, and either you, to start one or to help out with or one. Or to right? help out with one. Yeah. And, and so just giving giving of our time. I mean, we've been giving time. We, we've, we have talents, we have gifts. And at one point in our lives, we're going to stand before the Lord God and he's going to ask us, what did you get, do yeah. with all that I entrusted to you, did you bury these gifts? Did you place them at the disposal of our brothers and sisters in need, your parish, those inside the parish walls, those outside the parish walls? And God has something for each and every one of us to do that only we can do. So, yeah, I want to be careful that we don't reduce this to serving in the parish because we were just having a conversation with someone today who was in our office who was talking about the rescue project and said, I heard I can do this in my home. So somebody might have the charism of hospitality. Some of us don't have that charism. Like some of us have people over to our house and people can't wait to leave our houses. <laughs> Other people, like you go to their home and you don't ever want to leave because they just like know how to host. They know how to make you feel welcome. They, they take care of you. I mean, you just feel really nourished and loved and seen and noticed, right? So if that's your charism, if you've got a charism of hospitality, which is, you know, the, the one of the, ironies about charisms charisms is people don't often know they have them. So someone might have the charism of hospitality and they might think, well, doesn't everybody have this? And the answer is no. That's why you only want certain people greeting people at the door, at the parish, right? Some people don't have the charism of welcoming. They shouldn't be at the door, right? But if you got the charism of hospitality, here's a practical thing to do. New Year's coming soon. Start thinking now, praying about, hey, should we open up our house and host the rescue project in our house or some other experience where people can encounter Jesus, where fellowships can get formed, where we can learn about our mission of transformation in the world, we can get out there. So that might just be a, a way for us to not confine the discussion to, to parish life because unfortunately that's what often happens with us as, as Catholic church. We get stuck inside the little ghetto that is the Catholic church. Well, I couldn't agree more. And I think that, that, that we know as, as we step into charism discovery, um, 
they help form and train you to understand that your charisms are for the world, the church in the world, right? right? And so, gosh, you know, Father John, I I think that God's offered a lot uh, for our friends and for you and me. I'm I'm afflicted and convicted on many levels right now. I can't wait. Yeah, I I am as well. But you know what? Um, It's it's good to be uncomfortable because it reminds us who God is, what he's done for us, that he loves us deeply and all of these things, like 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 th- th- this is these are the ways that we can worship him with our time, with our being good stewards of of, of what he's given us, with our hearts, um, just to um, just to worship the Lord. This yeah. is what it all comes back to: worshiping God and thanking Him for and, everything. And, and we do that not us. just by praying, but by living authentically human, human lives. lives. Right, the glory Amen. of God is man fully alive. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, uh, have fun this week with the Lord as we look at our time, as we look at our money, as we look at the gifts that he's given to us and how we're using all those things. Let's pray for each other that we would be better stewards of the resources that he's given to us, that we would be uh, exercising the authority, whether it's as a mom, a dad, a pastor, a bishop, whatever it might be, in the roles that he's entrusted to us. And let's thank the Lord that he is as gracious and patient and generous with us as he is. And in the meantime, do not be afraid. God is with you. And you were born for this. 